We're combining all the best old school wisdom with all the top new school methods to bring you the optimal way to coach and play the great game of baseball. This is the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass with Coach Bo. Welcome to the 80-20 Baseball Masterclass, the 80-20 Baseball Podcast. I'm fired up for this episode. We got Coach Coulter Bostic back with us today. Coulter, how you doing? I'm doing excellent, man. I appreciate getting the chance to be back on here. Thank you for coming on here. You got a lot of great stuff we're going to talk about in this episode. I want to pick your brain. I want you to share with the listeners your knowledge, your wisdom about building rapport with athletes. I just see, I follow you on Twitter. I know that's, and we've talked for a couple hours via podcast. I get this sense you got a really good understanding of how to build rapport with people and individuals and players and these kids and these young adults that you're working with. So I think that's, you know, and I know we've talked about that. That's such a big deal. Now, this is a three-peat. We're going for the three-peat here. So we got Coulter back on for the third time. We're going for the three-peat. Now, back in 1990, I got a, like a swap meet. A swap meet. I don't know how popular swap meets are around the country, but you know, like the little flea market mm-hmm. uh, thing at the local fairground. My dad went and picked up a, a swap meet Lakers three peat t-shirt back in this would have been 1989 1990 well they didn't even three peat so i had like this first i was probably a knockoff shirt it wasn't even like lakers sponsored and then it didn't even happen but this is happening we have a three peat here so like kind of like a 2019 (laughs) astros world series shirt yeah exactly exactly yeah jumped the gun a little bit but i think my dad got like the early bird special but it's kind of like making a bet you know you don't know if it's going to pan out but i'll tell you what you're a safe bet culture i've asked you a couple times we've talked about being on here you always are more than welcome. And that just says what kind of person you are about sharing what you know. You know, I know you, you're out there with the players and you're doing such a great job with all these athletes. And we're going to talk about these college. You, know, a lot, you had quite a few of your players commit to big time schools and a lot of colleges. And we'll get into that. So I know you're they're spending a lot of time with them, but thanks for the time here with us. The pride of Cody, Wyoming, right? It's Cody. <laughs> yes. yes. Yep. Cody and Powell, Wyoming. All right. I love it. I love it. I had a friend go up through y- uh, Yellowstone and they said, hey, it's beautiful, especially the part by Wyoming. And I said, yeah, it's nice over there. And they got nice people from Wyoming too. And uh, you're definitely at the top of that list, but you're out of San Antonio now. So I got some family visiting and they actually lived in Houston. I know that's a, a little bit of ways from San Antonio um, and a little that's different. Just a commute. It's not too bad. It's only about three hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, what's interesting is when somebody goes on Interstate 10 on Texas, and for those of you who've ever driven on Interstate 10, coming through from New Mexico to Texas where El Paso meets, I don't recommend spending too much time there. It's not a bad place, but it gets a little dicey there with, with um, you know, what's the city down there right there on the other side? It gets a little dicey right there with Juarez. And then, mm-hmm. but the sign on Interstate 10 says Beaumont. I believe it says Beaumont, Texas, which I believe is on the other, on the east border yeah, of on, Texas, it's Louisiana. On the Louisiana side. Exactly. It's, it, is, so it says Beaumont, Texas. The sign when you enter Texas on one side says Beaumont, Texas, 870 miles or some 815 miles. So you really are, I mean, you're, it's literally an entire day plus just to get through one big old state. So, and then you come in the other way, it says the same thing to El Paso. So I know you're out of San Antonio. I love that area down there. And I know everybody who goes down there loves San Antonio, the river walk and stuff. And hey, if you're down in that area, you got yourself a great baseball coach here with Coulter. Coulter, let's get into building rapport, building connections with your athletes. Maybe we don't hear about all the time. Maybe some things that you're trying or maybe things that you've heard that just absolutely work out in the trenches. What are some of your top things when it comes to building rapport with these players? Well, I think that the most important thing, and I've heard it phrased a few different ways, but however you choose to say it, the athletes don't care what you know 
know until they know that you care about them, period. So when I'm trying to build rapport with my guys, I'm trying to learn who they are. I'm trying to learn how they communicate. I want to get to know them at a personal level, not just, hey, you're spending an hour with me throwing a baseball. It's, hey, man, like I want to help you with this, but like I want to get to know what other things drive you, what make you tick outside of the game. Because I mean, I have to keep reminding the guys like baseball is not the all consuming factor of your life. It's a very fun part of it, but it's not going to be the majority of your life. And even if it is the career that makes your future, it's still only going to be a small portion of your life. You, I mean, there's a lot of other things out there. So getting to know the individual is obviously first and foremost, just keeping things light, like kids, especially like high school and college guys, they don't necessarily want to be talked down to in terms of like, oh, well, this guy just, he just thinks he can force me around to do what uh, like do things like, no, it's, Hey, you're out here spending your time as much as I'm spending mine. So long as we're not wasting each other's time, we need to make a fun, light environment where we get to learn and excel and just like be free to go all out. I just got done doing a, uh, it was essentially a six week velo program with a bunch of college guys and one of my pro guys. <laughs> we ended up extending it to eight weeks for doing uh, front low and um, front side and backside testing with five ounce, but that's a completely different story. But that group of basically eight guys, every single Monday and Friday got together and it ended up being kind of like, that was what we were looking forward to during the week because we created an environment that was not only competitive, but it was, there was a lot of mutual respect. Guys all wanted each other to get better. They are all pushing each other. My job was just to facilitate and make sure that everyone kind of stayed within their own lane. And like, rather than one guy trying to say, Hey, like I beat you for the day. It's like, Hey, like, here's what the goal is. Let's get after it. And if something's not going right, trying to manage expectations and, and manage workload within there. So my job is to help facilitate the culture and within a culture, if people are enjoying what they're doing and they respect what we're doing, then everyone kind of gets along and then we build that infrastructure of trust. So it's really getting to show guys that you care before you show them what you know, and then just continuing to build that with a really strong culture around everyone. How do you start? How do you begin that where like, for example, with this group, this this group of eight players, eight kids, uh, eight young adults, what are your, some of the things you do to start off? Do you kind of bring them up and you go, okay, and you lay out some groundwork? How do you create it from the start? Are there any kind of, do you lay out some rules or do you model it throughout or, but more specifically, I guess the question is, do you do anything to start it off or do you kind of see how it goes organically and then go from there? It depends on the day, obviously, but uh, I mean, a lot of it's organic. These guys, if they're in the program with me, they all know each other or they know of each other, especially the older guys. I tend to group them together and that way they can kind of push and pull on each other. There's not a single day where it's like I walk in and say, all right, I'm going to talk about this, this and this. It's, hey, if this comes up, this is what we're going to talk about. But they know the goal. These guys are aspiring to be successful collegiate athletes or uh, make it to the professional uh, level. They don't need me to sit there and tell them what to do on a given day or how like that's their job is to go out and prepare. So I don't necessarily have to even get involved. I, I show up and say, all right, first throw needs to happen in 25 minutes. You guys do what you need to do. And we just kind of go off. They just kind of mingle among themselves and we just keep the environment light. You know what? That goes back to what you were talking about just before I asked that question. You were talking about keeping it light, keeping it fun. You weren't wasting time. You're, you know, we've talked about being efficient with time and not wasting even as much as one throw. Mm -hmm. And I love that you talked about keeping it light and the pressure's there. I think that maybe 
many coaches and many adults, parents that take over and coach teams, a lot of youth coaches, and even some college coaches and pro coaches, although they grasp it a little more because they probably have a little more experience as a player a little longer. But the pressure is already built in mm-hmm. to what they're doing, especially like, I mean, definitely at the high school level and, and the college level and the professional level, but even at the younger levels, youth ball, pressure's built in. And it's built in almost that intrinsic pressure that we all put on ourselves or a fear or a worry or that thought in the back of our head of not getting the job done or what people are going to think or people are watching. So when mm-hmm. you can have a coach, like what you're talking about, when you can have a coach, and this is so big for youth coaches to understand, if you can have a coach who's not just going to let you willy-nilly run through practice and do whatever you want, there are going to be rules, there's going to be expectations, there's going to be a high standard, but it's not going to be the end of the world. And I talked about this in a recent podcast. I talked to Coulter about coaches, don't just jump on every single mistake, physical mistake. Now I talked about mm-hmm. like lack of hustle and lack of focus is something different. That needs to be addressed pretty every time. I don't think that can get through the filter if insofar as that you heard it or were there. If you weren't around, then it's a little hard harder. But if you're there, you can't let the low hustle stuff go. But don't always coaches be so eager to jump on kids for a physical mistake. And I know Coulter and I, we've talked about this throwing, you know, lack of focus and lack of hustle. That's something that I consider a non-negotiable. But when mm-hmm. we put the pressure and you say you keep it light, you keep it fun. I love to hear that because there's already so much pressure and the athletes you're working with, but not just the great athletes that you're working with that are already either going to college or professional or high school players that are looking at colleges, they're getting recruited, they're already elite players. But even the youth coaches that are listening to this, there is a lot of pressure and everybody knows this. When you think about it for just five seconds, 10 seconds about our own lives, all the pressure we put on ourselves, that is almost just this fear of kind of artificial pressure that we create. We don't need the coaches to add more to it, have rules, have expectations, but the pressure where they're looking over their shoulder at you every other pitch or everything that goes wrong or every error is not good. Now, Coulter, what are some pointers that you would like to share that you could share with youth coaches? Maybe a couple pointers to keep it light out there, to keep it fun. What are some things that you like to do that work well with your athletes that carry over even to youth baseball? Well, I think, actually, I'm going to kind of backtrack on it for a second here when you were talking about like the pressures on the athletes. Like There are so many things that are built-in stressors and we've created an environment in the game where we're no longer focused primarily on the success of the game. We're focused on all of these other outlets that are judging and criticizing the game. I'm not going to say I'm completely for or completely against like the showcase ball. I think that there's a lot of value that is added to the ability to create exposure for players. I also think there are some downsides to the business side of whatever happens, but we have so many things out there that are are creating, I guess, stress that is undue for the athlete saying, hey, you have to be this. You have to keep chasing this. If Oh, if I'm not ranked this high or if I'm missing out on this one tournament or whatever it may be, we have, an, we have enough stuff we have to really like focus on just in the terms of developing the athlete. We don't need to worry about the things that are outside of our control. So getting back to your question here, like, like what coaches can be doing, and I'm seeing all this kind of stuff even at the younger levels is focus on the athlete first and foremost and let them know, hey, if you're not ready to do something, you don't need to do it. If you're not perfect, that's okay. You don't need to be perfect every single day because it's not going to happen. Creating a kind of a gamified environment where you can create challenges to have the athletes push themselves, work with uh, within the group, kind of do that, but make sure that it's all pushing guys forward. It's not necessarily causing division. That sounds really weird saying that because I mean, yeah, you've got to compete. You've got to win and there are winners and there are losers. We have to deal with that. What I'm saying is creating an environment where everything has a competitive 
competitive aspect to it that pushes the boundaries and forces guys to learn to be better athletes in through competition, but also builds that bond of competition with the teammate. I think there's a really fine line there and being able to, to tread that and combine all aspects that benefit your athletes. I think that's a beautiful thing. So building rapport with them is not only you and them building a bridge together, but also working as a coach to facilitate them building rapport with their teammates. Well, with teammates, if you're coaching a team or in your case, in a lot of cases, you're working with athletes that might be from different schools, but you're building them and building that rapport and kind of facilitating that rapport amongst the group. That's a great point to make because we want to connect with our players, but we also want the players to connect with each other. Nothing's better than some peer pressure. Nothing's better than not peer pressure in in a in a negative way. And since we're kind of talking about undue pressure, but that nothing's better than a little competitive from your uh, peer, you know, your peer groups and also compliments from your peers and things like that. Connection with your peers goes a lot further most times than even with adults, although having that connection with adults and somebody to role model. And I think that's something you do really well. I've seen you out there working with athletes on the videos and I see you, you are role modeling the behavior and the actions. You're positive, you're complimenting. And so your teammates or your team, your players that are working with you're going to see that. And that's just how they're going to be. I think what you said was one of the best things you just said out of all of them was let the players know they do not have to be perfect. And just up front with them, hey, you don't have to be perfect. Now, when it comes to hustle and it comes to commitment and focus, I got high expectations. You got high expectations. We don't expect that to drift too much, especially on the hustle and the disrespect. That's not going to be allowed. But when it comes to the physical stuff, yeah, you don't have to be perfect. And I think maybe that's why your pitchers and your players look so free and loose, because I feel like, you know, you set an environment that all adds up now to what you're saying. And I think some of those are just fantastic points. So I think another big thing that comes with rapport, I really, I think of it as you're building a relationship that it's not a one-way street by any means. You want to be able to have communication flowing back and forth between yourself and the athlete. You want to have that relationship where they can be honest about their failures. Like in my limited role with these guys, like I'm not in the dugout with them when they're playing for their high school or playing for their select teams. But I have built this relationship with these guys where they can text me or call me or something and say, hey, like today was great. Everything worked well. Excellent. That's all that needs to be said. But they can also call me and say, hey, man, this just isn't working. I like I feel great in both. Like perfect story. I work with a guy. He's going to be a senior this year. A really fun athlete. He's got a lot of strength, built like an ox. Dude can get on the mound in bullpens and he's 87, 89. He's on the cusp of really starting to unlock things and he's going to be a really good arm in college, but he goes and plays in the summer. And every time he steps on the mound, he's 84, 86. And I'm like, dude, in bullpen, there's no pressure. There's no nothing like, but you're, and you're letting this thing fly. He can text me after each game and say, Coulter, my confidence is there, but for some reason I'm, I'm holding back. Like what is going on? And he's like, I've talked to my other coaches and they're telling me what they see, but I I don't feel it. I want to know what your opinion is. And I'll tell him like, well, it really goes down to kind of your, like whatever your mental preparation or whatever the case may be, the fact that he's willing to call me and say that when he knows that I have an expectation for him because of what we've seen in training, but he's willing to call me and say, hey, I'm not doing something. There's something that's going wrong between what I what we're seeing when I'm with you and what I'm doing on the field. And I remember when I was playing, like that would have been a very hard phone call for me to call somebody and say, hey, yeah, we've been working really hard and I'm failing on the field. 
Like that's a really weird thing, especially for kids today, like communication being what it is. I think that's probably one of the greatest pieces of this communication puzzle is being able to be open and honest about everything that goes on in the realm that we work in. So I think the rapport goes to the trust, it goes to the communication, and it just goes to that sense of reliability on both sides. The benefits of having rapport, like you outlined, are a fantastic benefit there where they open up and they share, and that makes you a better coach for them. There's better connection. And at the end of the day, you're going to get better results. Like for example, this pitcher that texts you and goes, he's up front, he's open with you about things he's struggling with or what's going on. And so you can then as coaches, we can get to the root problem much easier. And I think that goes to back when you originally talked about getting to know them outside of baseball. This has helped me. And I know it's helped you because we talked about this before and it helps every coach really understand the whole player. And I know you're a big on the holistic athlete. And a big part of that is the whole person, the, the players as a whole complete package. And a lot of of that and a lot of what we can learn and a lot of what we can use on the field doesn't necessarily come from what they do at their position or between the chalk lines or even in the dugout. But getting to know them and who they are outside paints a much clearer picture of who they are. And I truly believe that. And I think it was great how you started off the first one of the first things you said was getting to know them more than just as an athlete. And that is huge. And it's I know it's played a big part in getting to know athletes as a coach for me because every kid is different. They're not a number. They're not a position. They're all different. They're all unique. And sure, there's commonalities, of course. But if you can look at how they are off the field and maybe just something, even if it's as much as, hey, oh, so you like to surf or you like to, you do rodeo on the side if, or you do this or you like to, or you play guitar or even just get that conversation. That, and I believe subconsciously, the players see that as, okay, this guy cares about me more than just a, a statistic and more than just a win and loss, more than a, a pawn in his game. And he cares about me as a person. It shouldn't be a fake. It should be real. So I think that getting to know them outside is huge. In fact, in one of my last episodes, I talked about this culture with, I was telling the coaches, I, one thing I think is great for coaches that work with teams and even maybe coaches that don't work with teams that just train players, train athletes is have them fill out surveys that talk about as much about them and their life as, as much as it does about their forcing fastball and their and what off-speed pitches they throw and whatnot. And so you kind of get a little bit of a background. I've used that over the years with hundreds of students and I've used it with quite a few dozens and dozens athletes. And it's real interesting what you know and what you can find out about because when they show up to the field, not all the players are just going to show up and be able to turn off everything that's gone on at home and everything that's gone on in their last 20 years or 15 years of their life. And so that all builds that who they are. It all kind of builds into who they are as a player. And if we want to be great coaches for these individuals, we got to see the bigger picture. And a lot of it is shaped and molded outside of the field. And if we can understand that, we can be better coaches. And yes, you coaches that want to win more and have a better resume, this all plays into it but it goes down to it's a win-win. You care about the kids as individuals, the young adults as individuals, and everything else will be great from there. Like you were talking about, that rapport will just kind of manifest from that. So I think what you said there was legit. Colter, do you want to finish up with anything before we finish up this topic of building rapport and with our players? It's going to be kind of an interesting side way to add this, but there's so many different fine lines that we have to tread when we're dealing with athletes, especially youth athletes. But one thing that also needs to be done, especially 
especially when we're talking about guys that are like, if we're talking about middle school and high school is the athlete, even though you are dealing with them and you're dealing with their skill development and you're trying to help them push their career and their future, you also have to build rapport with the family. You don't want it to just be, hey, I'm only talking with the kid. I'm only dealing with this. And like, there is time and place for that. There's like, no one wants to have a parent that's like hovering over watching every practice that you do because you're sitting there thinking, I have to put on a show for the parent versus working with the kid or whatever the situation may be. But you do also have to build rapport with the people that are the support system for the kid because you want them to know that it's not just you and them. It's the whole, it takes a village mentality. And you want those kids to know that you're invested in their village, not just one aspect of what they're doing. And that could mean if you ever need to, you say, hey, like, I'll help, like, I'll get you from practice today if your parents are working too late or whatever. Or you know that a kid's like kind of struggling in, I don't know, there's any any number of situations. Like I've got a kid that right now, I, I know he doesn't drive and I'm sitting there like, hey, if you ever need a ride to the field before, like whatever, don't ever hesitate to call me. And I've called his parents and said, hey, if you ever need something, let me know. All of a sudden with this COVID, this family's called me and said, Coulter, we really are, we're freaking out about traveling and whatnot. We have some health risks. Is there any way you can get him to this tournament? Absolutely. Absolutely. And right there, that kind of relationship goes a long way. And I know that by showing that kid, I'm going to take him to that tournament. I'll get him where he needs to go. I'm invested in his success, but I'm also invested in helping his family. I think down the line, that kid's playing pro ball or he's in college. If something's going on and he doesn't feel like, if he feels like, hey, I don't want to talk to my parents about it. Like if he calls me and says, hey man, I need help. That is going to be one of the greatest honors of my life is just being able to be there and support that kid. Well, I'll tell you what, Colter, you had a lot of great stuff to share there about the rapport. And I think it's important, those great listeners that are listening to this, Coulter shared some great specific examples of how he's building rapport and how that plays out and how that helps everybody in the community and everybody within that culture and the environment that he's working with and all the players and the families. And I think it's important that when I get some questions, Coulter, from coaches, it's like, hey, can you give me you know, a drill for everything? Or can you give me a, a hundred tips for a hundred ways to, to talk to parents or a hundred ways or can you give me a solution for every single kid? And what I think it's important to understand, listeners, is that you guys hear the paradigm that Coulter's coming from. You can see his mindset and how he's approaching the players. And then it'll play out differently for you and your teams, or it may not, or it may play out exactly the same with some of these examples that he shared. So I think it's important to, to kind of hear the examples and go, okay, and to really grasp that Coulter is first about building the rapport and the connection with the players. And then how that branches off it might come organically. It might pivot. You know, for example, the COVID stuff came up in your example about getting that player whose family was had some things going on where they were trying to be safe and not put themselves and jeopardize some of the health, especially probably some of the older family members. But they wanted their son to continue practicing and training. And the rapport that you had built with him well beforehand came into play in that. It came out and it came together to fruition in a different way like that. And, and so I think it's important that when you build a rapport, so many good things can happen across the board. You never know how it's going to take shape, but building rapport, building a connection. And I think you're a positive coach, Coulter. I think you're positive. You're given a lot of compliments. You're not in their ear. You don't have your players looking over their shoulder every single time they miss the glove when they're pitching. But I do think that- Not every time. Not every time. (laughs) But now, 
if they look over their shoulder to you, it's probably because they want your feedback because you've built that connection with them. And mm-hmm. I tell you what, what you shared there about rapport was great. We're going to have you back on on the next episode. We're going to talk about, and I'm excited about this one too, because man, you got some athletic pitchers. And I mean, maybe not that Kobe Bryant athleticism that's genetic, although some of your dudes, some of your pitchers are looking real athletic and just physically, but you got a moving athletic and you really got your players, your pitchers looking really good on the mound, really fluid and athletic. And I'm going to pick your brain about that. And I want you to share some of that, what you're doing with your players. So you can share that with the listeners. And uh, I'll tell you what, Coulter, always a blast. We'll have you on the next episode, episode 41. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. Looking forward to the next one. All right. We'll see you then. As always, Coach Coulter Bostic is a great interview. Now for the second part of this episode, we're going to talk about, I'm going to share with you a really usable tip. And it's more than just a tip. I think sometimes we hear tips. It's like a little bit that'll add a little value here and there or help you a little bit as a coach. But this is something that's a game changer in terms of setting up your process your processes, your processes. We're going to talk about systems here. I'm going to hit through this really quickly, but systems are something that are very few and far between or established systems. Efficient systems are very few and far between in the baseball community. And I think the big part of that or the big reason for that is most of the baseball coaches, almost every baseball coach gets into baseball coaching relatively quickly, whether it's right after high school, right after college, right after pro ball, they get into coaching. So they get into the trenches. They don't go spend time running a startup company or running a business. And now a lot of coaches have learned and read and studied people that are outside of the baseball arena and they've learned a lot and they've applied that. And that's what I'm going to do here in that I'm going to take a recommendation that comes across the board to businesses and I'm going to apply it to baseball. And I'm telling you, this is a huge competitive advantage. You know, there's a reason that a lot of the major league teams have gone out and hired front office personnel and team presidents and general managers that had nothing to do with baseball for the most part, but they'd run companies. And I think there's a lot that can be learned because baseball is very inefficient in and of itself. It just is. And it's really hard to see it from within the baseball community because it's just the way it's always been. It's very inefficient. I'm not talking about the techniques and the strategies and things like that. I think old school coaches and coaches of old and the community and the baseball systems of old don't get as much credit or get kind of disregarded much too quickly. But in terms of efficiency and running it like a business very efficiently and not where it's a cold, hard bottom line, but it's about running efficient. Baseball has really, really, really lagged in this. So we're going to talk about setting up a system. Coaches, you want to set up a system. It inherently gives players roles and responsibilities. So right off the bat, you're giving players more of a role, more of a responsibility, more ownership. Now, the first thought might be from some of you guys listening or might think, well, Coach Bo, if I install a system, or I put in a system, then won't that take away from the player's responsibility, from the player's roles? And the answer is no. In fact, it actually gives them very clear and defined rules. And and I hear this a lot in the baseball community. Coaches say, you got to give your players set roles and defined responsibilities. And yeah, that's absolutely true, but they don't really go past that. And really, I believe it's inherent in having systems, having systems. So for example, if you were to not show up at your practice as a coach, 
or if all of your coaching staff did not show up, how closely would the players by themselves be able to replicate a practice that you're there for, that you run, your typical practice that all the coaches are there for? How close will the tempo be the same? Will the energy be the same? Will the drills be set up the same? Will the structure be set up right? Will there be safety implemented? Okay, so there's a lot of other things we could go on that that a coach will install or that you're going to have at a practice or a pregame or during a game or during a training session in the gym. But you need to ask yourself, if all the coaches didn't show up tomorrow for practice, how efficient, how effective would the practice be run? And for a lot of coaches, you get a little worried thinking about this. This shouldn't be the case. You should be able to just take the day off, send email, message, text message, the plan, maybe the script of the practice and know that it's going to get done. And it may not be exactly perfect, but it should be at 90% effectiveness and efficiency and the quality of it should be 90% or more as if you were there in person. So that's the question you have to ask yourself. If you weren't there tomorrow, coaches, and you let the players run it like a sandlot practice, how effective would it be? And how much would they follow the things that you guys have installed or not installed? And so if you don't have systems, if you don't have routines, they're kind of willy-nilly, which is really common, or there's not defined roles for everything at the beginning of the season, the beginning of the year, then you're going to run into a lot of problems if you were just to back off. Again, you're most likely not going to be missing practices, right? It may happen, but you're most likely going to be there. You're the coach and you're the coaching staff. But here's the thing. Not only is improving a system going to get your team and your practices moving faster, it's going to take off so much from your plate. And it's basically the many hands make light work. You're training all the players around you. Let me give you an example. There's franchisees, right? So franchisees, they have a playbook, a notebook that is defined. Every step is defined. So if you want to open up a McDonald's is kind of the most well-known franchise, but there's so many out there. You will get a book that says exactly how everything is done. Now that is an evolving document. That's an evolving book or notebook or guidelines or guidebook. Sure. And so will yours be, but it is defined. And so if I were to go and I wanted to start a 24 hour fitness, so you buy a franchise and they'll tell you how everything is run and they'll tell you where to put the stuff. There will be protocol. There will be guidelines for everything because they've established those. They've tested them. Now, doesn't mean they're always the best, but those can be. Now, the nice thing is with your own team, you put the system in and you can evolve it. You can evolve it. And that gets to my next point here, or should I say the next benefit of having a system? And we're going to dive into some specific examples of exactly kind of clarifying what I'm talking about as far as systems for your team. Having a set system allows for better practices, better team environments, but more importantly, it gives coaches something to anchor the adjustments to. So when you want to adjust something or you want to improve a procedure, a policy, a drill, a way of running practice, the organization of practice, the things that you practice in general, your pregame routine, so on and so forth, you need to have something that is anchored to. You need to have a process established so then you can improve that and know that you're approving it versus just going out there and just, ah, today we're going to work on this and kind of feel it out as you go, which feeling it out as you go can definitely come into play when you have a system. But if you go out there and just shoot from the hip and you don't have a system in place, you're going to not have anything to anchor your adjustments to. You're not going to have something set that you can improve or discard or the many adjustments and improvements along the way that you can do. You need something that it's anchored to. You need it written down, in my opinion. You should have everything written down for the most part. How your drill is run, how it's set up, how your throwing routine is set up, how it's run step by step. Every single throw should be outlined. Now, the variation will definitely come, especially preseason versus in-season and for certain players that may be injured or younger players versus older players, there's going to 
be a uniqueness or there's going to be a need to individualize, to tailor it to your team and your level and all that. But the system should be set. It should be set. You should have a system set. It will save coaches a ton of work and greatly reduces, specifically, it greatly reduces the amount of instructions that need to be given throughout the course of a season. You want to be efficient. You want to spend more time practicing, repping, getting better with the game, not setting up drills, not going over expectations and not how you're going to do the throwing routine. You should be able to just say, all right, throwing routine. And the players know exactly what to do every step. I've implemented throwing routines, throwing programs with entire high school programs at one time. You're talking 60 players, 60 players. I implemented this. And by the third practice, I didn't have to say a word about the program. Now, this program is as structured as any throwing program I've ever seen. I'm telling you, it's so structured. It's down to every single throw. Now there's variability throughout the year. There's variability throughout the week. There's variability if the player doesn't need it as much or they're starting pitcher the next day and things like that. But it is all defined because from there, then you can test it and then make the adjustments accordingly. So you got to have something that you can test. You don't need to run a study necessarily as a baseball coach. You can run it as a personal just out there in practice. This is what we're going to test and we're going to see how well we do and we're going to gauge it by ERA, injuries. What coach wouldn't want to give fewer instructions throughout the year? What coach? Now, let me share with you an example of how I implemented a system years ago. This was the year was 2009. I was teaching in North Long Beach. I was teaching physical education at a high school in North Long Beach. And the students that I had were predominantly from the cities of Compton, North Long Beach, Watts, some pretty tough neighborhoods, very unstructured neighborhoods, very disorganized neighborhoods for the most part. I worked there in that area for years, for 12 years. And I can say with certainty, and I've been in cities like Irvine. I grew up in a city like Yorba Linda. Those are very well planned out. In fact, they're like master planned communities. Everything is very orderly. I've been in those areas. I've worked in those areas where it's disorganized. These kids come from complete disorganization. The kids that I taught these years in North Long Beach, the Lakewood area, kids from Watts and Compton. And I'll tell you what, my third year teaching, I finally said, I'm going to implement systems. So my second first couple years learning the ropes, I said, I got to have a system. I don't want to sit here and have to tell the, the, the students, the P students every single day, each step of the warm up, each step of this and that and whatnot. I had that down by the end of the first month of school. I had all those wonderful students, but many challenging students, as challenging as any students you're going to find in the country. I had them all and they liked this, by the way, they wanted this. They wanted autonomy. They didn't want me telling them, all right, now we're doing backpedal. Now we're doing side skips. They wanted to have the autonomy. They wanted to make it look like they were doing it on their own. Now I had set the system in place, but they had the feeling that I wasn't sitting there blowing my whistle every time the next line or set of people were uh, students were supposed to go. And I had after a month, this is nothing that I can do any different than any of you within a month. And I believe with baseball teams that are dedicated players that are out there for a reason, these are PE students that I'm talking about. These Some of these kids didn't even really care about school. A lot of them didn't care about school. They're like, why I'm here. You get baseball players, most of the time they want to be there. They're looking forward to it and they've signed up for it. They're paying for it. It's not necessarily a high school thing or a school thing where their parents are like, you got to go. And a lot of them didn't want to be there. And I got them within one month. And you could have all done this yourself if you were in my shoes by implementing a system. Within one month, I had them do the entire first 20 minutes of class simply by blowing my whistle one time. They did it right. It was very detailed. There was a lot of safety components put into it. There was a lot of technique components put into it. There was a lot of different exercises they were doing. There was a lot of the, the system, how it played out. There was a lot of, you got to wait till they cross this 
spot. You got the next group. You got the order and how the warm-ups were supposed to go. The static, the dynamic, the conditioning, the body strength, the, the muscle strength. All of that stuff was scripted out. It varied. I didn't do the same thing every day. They had a Monday, Wednesday, Friday routine and a Tuesday, Thursday routine. But they knew when I blew that whistle, that was the routine. I just blew it once. And I could literally sit there and fall asleep for 20 minutes. I didn't, but I could have. And wake up and I could have sat in a lawn chair and uh, read a book. And 20 minutes later, those students were done and did it within. I don't know if I would. I don't think me saying anything right there in their face and correcting them would have probably got it much better. They were 95% awesome. And when I had a substitute, which was very infrequent, but when I had a substitute teacher come in to take care of my class, if I had to go to meetings and whatnot, the class ran as if I wasn't there. In fact, I would talk to my good friend who was another teacher out there. His class was right next to mine. And I would say, hey, Lamar, how'd it go yesterday with my class? He's like, it looked like you weren't even gone. Everything ran exactly like it runs every day with your class. So you can do this with your dynamic warm-up, your warm-up to start practice. Put it in early. Don't sit out there and go, all right, go. All right, high knees. Okay, skips. All right, sprints. No, put it in place at the beginning of the season and then let the players lead it. And you don't even need to have leaders and stuff. I think coaches get a little bit carried away with having a, a leader or a captain. I think every player needs to have a say. I think there's a place and I definitely think that can work, but I think this whole captain leader, I don't necessarily, I think it's a little overrated. I definitely like the idea, but I think the captain, the leader is the head coach and the assistant coaches are right there as one unified body. That's where the leadership comes from. That's where the captains should be. If a player has an issue or a complaint or a concern, I don't want to hear it from their parents and I don't want them going and telling another player, then that comes and tells me. Now, I'm not going to get into the discussion about whether captains should be in place or what the role should be. That's for another time and another day. But I firmly believe that the coaches should be the captains, the leaders, the true leader of the team. And so you put in your system, you put in your procedures, and here's how it's going to go. And you walk them through it. You put them through it. You show them the technique. You show them the expectations. You tell them this, and then they do it. And you, what you're going to have to do over the first couple weeks, the first month, is you're going to have to be there correcting and implementing it and installing it more so early on. And then you're going to stay with it. So after a couple weeks, after three weeks, they might get through the seventh exercise and look over and they can't quite figure out what's the next part of the order, what's the next step. Or you might get somebody who's not doing the technique precisely. I'm a very big on quality movement. If you're going to be big on quality movement, you got to be correcting and suggesting and, and adding adjustments to players routinely because they're just going to have those times where they're not focused and not paying attention. You got to catch them on that. But you also got to catch them doing great more often than not. We've talked about that many times on this podcast. So you want to have a system to make your job easier, to give players more ownership and responsibility. So you're not out there like a drill sergeant. I'm not talking about you shouldn't have discipline and rules. All right, I'm big on that. I'm huge on discipline equals freedom. Discipline is probably the best thing we can give players, but in a fun environment and learning teamwork and things, but that all goes hand in hand with discipline, being a disciplined teammate, learning to deal with failure. Baseball is such a great thing for that. I want to finish up by saying this. At a minimum, you should have a warm-up routine, both dynamic, somewhat some static too, a warm-up routine, a full-body warm-up routine installed from the get-go. You can adjust it. You can kind of flip exercises around as you go. I got a complete dynamic warm-up ready to go for you guys. So if you reach out to me, 8020baseball, coachbo at 8020baseball.com, reach out to me. It should be available with the website launched here. It's rebooting and I'm getting it upgraded. That will be launched here soon and you'll have access to that and it scripts it out. You can lead them through it, but it should be scripted out and each player should see it. You should send them a copy. In fact, for high school coaches. Okay, so before I get into that tip for high school coaches and college coaches and coaches that are with players for a longer period of time or you know who's coming on your team next year, you can 
can look ahead to eighth graders. Or if you're recruiting for colleges, you can look ahead of those kids that have signed and committed, not necessarily committed, but signed. And if you're a high school coach, you can see who's coming in from eighth grade and you can get them these systems earlier by putting a video out there, by putting videos out there of your team already doing it. Take out your camera, not your camera maybe, or have your phone, but have somebody else do it and have somebody try to get the quality, try to get somebody from campus to come out and make a video production of your routines. They don't have to be the entire routine. They can just be little clips of each step. So your warm-up routine, your dynamic warm-up routine may have 12 steps to it. All right, you start off by simply jogging, maybe reverse jogs, things like that, some lateral shuffles, and you will have a script that you can videotape and you can videotape your team doing this. And then you upload it, not maybe publicly, but you upload it to where you can send the link to incoming eighth graders. Colleges can send that link to the players that have signed and that will be coming to school. You're not giving away your signs necessarily and all that stuff, but you can give them the dynamic warm-up. You can give them the throwing program. They should be able to see it, not necessarily on paper, a PDF, which you should have, but they should be able to see a video. And I read a great book recently called Clockwise, Clockwise by Mike Mikkelwitz. Mikkelwitz. He's got a funky name there. Mike Mikkelwitz, look it up, Clockwise. And the title of that book is Design Your Business to Run Itself. You could, the subtitle is Design Your Business to Run Itself. You could simply be called a Design Your Team to Run Itself. And a big thing that he's installed with companies is having videos of all the processes, or if you want to say processes, that the company has. So when a new employee comes in, they don't have to necessarily go and teach them. They don't need to take the man time and the hours to go and teach it. They have videos that are concisely edited and well done. Now, you don't, as a baseball coach, need to have that, but why not videotape your throwing routine, your dynamic warm-up, your on-the-field strength and conditioning program? How about your drills? Why not videotape your go-to drills? Doesn't mean you got to keep them. You may find better ones, as better drills as you move forward, but you have a simply a system, a video of your system. And things like rules and expectations in terms of hustle, that that's more written out and verbal. That's not something you can necessarily put on a video. You can show examples of it, but you can't systematize it through a video or show the systematizing through a video, but that's neither here nor there. So put in a system, automate your team, okay? Build your team to run itself. I'm telling you, this is, the kids want this, the players want this. High school and college coaches, this should be absolute no-brainer, absolute no-brainer because you're getting players for a little bit longer or you know they're gonna be coming in in advance. Where a youth coach, you may not know your team in advance. Travel ball, this should be a no-brainer for you travel ball teams. You should have a system all the way through. Now, getting all your coaches on board with that and putting it together is important piece. So it shouldn't be just a dictatorship. One person designs the whole thing. You work together, you put together a system and you implement it. So by the time you're seven U's get to 14 U, they know everything. And so that system, the steps are not something you're thinking of. They are thinking about getting that 1% better, that 2% better with their spin, their grip, their front side, their swing, their swing plane, their steel jumps, yada, yada, yada. All right. So you want to get the system, the foundation in place. You want them to also have the autonomy. They like doing it, the ownership, but it's going to make everything easier for everybody. It's going to just speed up the improvements. Put in a system I recommend clockwise by its Mikkelwitz. Lastly, please don't be fooled by the fact that all the stuff that works in other areas of our life will work on the baseball field and with our teams. And some of the best things we can learn are from outside of baseball, other industries, other places that have perfected this and are using these strategies. We can use these and have a huge competitive advantage and more importantly, make it more fun and just better all around. You're really setting the kid up even better for life because now they see systems in place. Not only that, you teach them discipline, you teach them expectations, hustle, teamwork, dealing with failure, and then you teach them how systems work, not implement it, let them be a part
part of it and they'll see that. You don't think that's gonna help them get a job later a little bit faster? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, there's a reason that Toyota has passed up all the American cars. American cars are, are still good quality, but why have they passed them up? I'm, I'm up here in Boise now and I swear, way more Toyota Tundras, which is not really Toyota's claim to fame, the Camrys and some of those cars that just last forever on the road. You can put tons of miles on, but now they're into the trucks. They've been building Tundras for years. I get that, but they're selling so many trucks up here in Boise. And this isn't necessarily, this isn't a Chevy Dodge Ford kind of area, but they're selling. I see more Toyota Tundras on the road than I do any other truck up here. And when I say that of like, say 2015 models and newer, right? So older, older trucks. Yeah. I see more Silverados and I see more F-150s and things like that and more Rams, but 2015 models and, and newer or younger, I see substantially more Toyotas up here. And why have they become so popular? I mean, their cars are the number one selling car in a country. And that wasn't always the case. In fact, if you would have told grandparents that they would have laughed at you like, no way, you know, but I mean, they had bad reputations, cars from Asia, cars from other places for the most part had bad reputations for a lot of years back in the sixties and fifties and even into the seventies a little bit. And now everybody says Camry, it's synonymous with reliable and it lasts a long time and it's consistent and good quality for them. I mean, it's not a Ferrari. I get that, but it's Toyotas have passed up these other car companies. Not that they make better cars necessarily, but they do make a car that people are buying. They know is reliable and it's come a long ways and it all starts with their factory and their systems, their systems and how they build and their efficiencies and how they give ownership to the people in their factories on the line. Go read about it. Go read about this. This is common knowledge. Go read about how Toyota, I'm not going to get into it here, but Toyota runs their factories and their systems better and more differently. So that's why they get the results that they've got. It's not because they have some paint color that nobody's ever seen or some paint color that is just magic. All right. And they don't have flying cars. They have just general cars like all the others, but there's a reason that they pass them up because they have better systems when they build them. And you could go on and on with all the systems throughout, but I think we need to learn from that. So, all right, we're going to end it there. I want to give a shout out coach Bostic. Thank you for showing up here and sharing your wisdom. Know that episodes are going to be posted every Tuesday moving forward. And I've started that pattern a while ago, but that's going to continue. Episodes will be posted on Tuesday. I know you guys are busy a lot of times on Monday, getting back to work, getting ahead of the week, coming off a weekend. I'm going to put them out Tuesday to give you something to go and use that week in practice or the upcoming weekend. Also a shout out to the growing audience. Every episode, we're getting more and more listeners. So that fires me up. That's great to see because at the end of the day, it's about getting the baseball community better. Each of you get getting better as coaches. And so it's better for the players and just a better overall environment. So that's awesome. Big shout out to that growing audience. Reach out to me, say what's up. Coach Bo at 8020baseball.com. You can follow me on Twitter, 8020 underscore baseball at 8020baseball underscore baseball. It's just eight zero, the numbers 8020 underscore baseball. We'll see you next Tuesday. Until then, take care of yourself, especially your health. Take care of your family. Go make the baseball community better. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave a quick review you on Apple Podcasts or your other podcast platforms that you listen to, it would be much appreciated. Thank you. This has been Coach Bo. Take care. This has been the 8020 Baseball Podcast. Take it to the field.